good to be together. Merry Christmas. Uh, we are, if you're not aware, um, this is the last, the fourth and final Sunday of Advent. And Advent is a season that the church historically has celebrated the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. Um, and uh, really want to uh, share my appreciation for Andrew Oliver for crafting the sermon series, as well as, yes, he deserves that, um, as well as him and Donald preaching. Um, they just did tremendous jobs preaching their weeks and also gave this old man a break. And so, um, but I am happy to be back in the pulpit and to share with you today. Uh, let's go to scripture, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1 to 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for him to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this incredible moment that we get to gather as your people. And we come to your word with expectant, hungry hearts. And we ask that you would speak to us, cause your word to come alive to us, especially on this incredible day where we celebrate the incarnation when you became flesh and entered into your very creation to redeem us, to rescue us, to demonstrate your love. We thank you for this time. Meet us, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You know, as I mentioned at the very beginning, we're in this sermon series during Advent, um, and the title of this series is Audacity to Believe, because what we're doing in this series, we're taking a look at people or characters in the story of Jesus' birth, the incarnation, who are part of this eternal moment. And what we see is that each of these characters, if you will, had profound encounters with God. They believed in God as a result, but they also overcame incredible amounts of internal and external resistance as they acted on that belief. And today we're going to take a look at the shepherds. The shepherds. As you noted in this text, they actually play an incredibly critical, important role. They're not like minor characters, even though the story is about Jesus and we're all kind of minor characters in his grand story. But they're so central to what takes place. And actually, a big reason why we're here is because of these shepherds. Now, we need to understand something, that these shepherds, they existed outside of the social order. They were, cons they were considered outcasts. They were demeaned. I'll spare you some of the nasty things that were said about the shepherds, but they were seen in such a derogatory light. Uh, they had essentially epithets thrown at them and just like the equivalent of slurs. Whenever they were referenced, they were not spoken of kindly. It's kind of like New Yorkers when you mention Staten Island, you know? It, it's like there's just no love at all for the shepherds. I love Staten Island, just, just to be clear. It's a great borough. I pray for Staten Island a long time. I want, I'm not even backpedaling, y'all, I promise. I love Staten Island. I want Staten Island to experience Jesus. However, let's be real. Let's be real. As, as New Yorkers, that borough gets no love, no love. Shepherds, the mention of them, was met with hostility, negativity, just absolute condescension. But on this night, they received an angelic visitation and their lives would be forever changed. Because for the rest of their existence and even after they passed this life, their names, their stories, their lives would be completely intertwined with the greatest moment in history. You know, I, I recently learned, I didn't know this. I don't know if you've ever seen this, this, this we're going to go from the shepherd account, the scripture to, um, you know, memes and social media. So just bear with me. But I don't know if you've ever seen this video. There's this boxer called Deontay Wilder. Um, and in this video, it's viral. He's just like barking at a reporter. And he's just saying, all day. All day. I, I'm not doing it justice. This thing has been shared so many times for so many reasons. I didn't know that actually there was a reporter. His name is Radio Rahim. And he's actually a very famous announcer and sports analyst for boxing in particular. Do you know that that moment was the moment that started his career? From that moment, it was just a reporter asking this boxer just a very kind of simple question and he explodes on him, and he just stays like real stoic and just like he still keeps asking the question. He was on Joe Rogan not so long ago, and he was telling the story. This is what launched my career. Could you imagine being yelled at, and that makes you famous? That actually changes the course of your life from one day you're renting, and then the next day you own a palace, and you're like, what made the difference? This guy started yelling at me. Like it, his life changed 
in that moment, these shepherds were out in the field doing what they've done every single day, what they've done that has actually garnered them ill treatment from society. They're just doing their job. They're, they're providing a really important function for society. They're raising animals that people live off of and, and feed off of and, and use the, the garments and the skin for garments. They, they, these people are absolutely essential. And yet, every single day, they're treated with ill treatment. And yet, in this moment, their lives were changed. And think about this. The shepherds were visited by angelic messengers who told them of what actually just transpired that would change the course of history. Just think about that for a moment. God announces the greatest thing that humanity could ever hear, that he has acted, that the Messiah has come, that what's broken, what's, what's missing will now be healed and fixed. And he chooses to announce that not to dignitaries, not to powerful people in society, not to the people that you and I would assume. If you want to start a movement, this is who you would start with. Like these days, if you want to sell a product or, or get your, your brand out, what do you do? You find an influencer. You find somebody that can give credence to your thing and garner a following as a result. This is the worst choice ever if you want to start a movement the way we would understand it because the choice to choose shepherds who from that, from every interaction they would have, they would be met with scorn and ridicule and no respect Really, like, no, have you ever been in like, like a crowded area? Um, not so long ago, I uh, went to Bryant Park in December. Um, I'm saying not so long ago because I want to put this memory behind me. It was, <laughs> I just wanted to be with my wife, spend some time where she likes Bryant Park, and so we go there, and oh my gosh, the tourists, there was so much. It was just like, ah, get me out of here. And, and so I, I endured it because I'm just a great husband. And so, but it was a lot. But this was, this was an interesting thing. There was somebody famous. Don't know who it was, because I had zero interest. You know, just, um, it was just too many people. And people reacted to this famous person, and they're trying to get an autograph. Because that's what people do when they respond, when, when, they, when they see someone famous, influential. You know, nobody was asking shepherds for selfies, you know, back then. Nobody cared about shepherds. Nobody wanted to be around them. And yet, God chooses them to be the first to hear this incredible news. It's something really amazing about a God who would go to those who are forgotten, who are treated poorly, who are the outcasts, who live in the margins of society, and say, if you want to hear my good news, you have to hear it from someone that you probably ignored your whole life. God reverses the tables, it's upside down the way he works. And in this moment, these shepherds hear this incredible news. And now we begin to see the audacity of their faith as we unpack their actions. Imagine these shepherds, these angels visit them, tell them this incredible news that Jesus has been born. 
But actually, we don't see their audacious faith surface till a little later. See, it didn't surface when the angels were telling them what happened. And it didn't even surface when they went to Bethlehem to verify what happened. It surfaced when after everything was said and done, notice the actions of these shepherds. Once they went to Bethlehem and verified what the angels told us were true, what do you find them doing? They begin to spread the news of Jesus' arrival to everybody, to the very same people who scorned them, who mistreated them, who didn't see them as people. They were the ones going to all and saying, let me tell you of what has happened in Bethlehem today. Now, what we're getting at is that at this moment, the social and religious outcast of that time, they've had an identity change from this encounter with God as God proclaims the good news to them. And when they began to preach the gospel of Jesus, the good news of God's arrival, to the very people that treated them like they were nothing, that's when you know they had authentic belief. You knew they really believed at the moment where they were willing to share the good news with people who treated them poorly. For us, what that translates is that often you don't know that you have real faith, authentic faith, until you're called to treat people kindly who have mistreated you. To share love with those who have not shared love with you. These shepherds, they go and preach the gospel to people who their whole life have given them nothing but awfulness. That's where you know their faith is sincere and their belief was actually true because they were willing to cut through all this stuff and be met with all the societal perceptions and resistance and, and probably be seen even more negatively now. Like, oh, these people who we thought nothing of, now they're going around telling us this crazy story of a baby in a manger and this is the Messiah, and they couldn't care anything about that. They would not be silenced. They kept sharing the good news with the very people that awfully treated them their whole life. One of the things that, to me, still strengthens my faith in the reality of the gospel is when I've seen Jesus transform people's lives and I watch them love people who treated them poorly. It's undeniable to me that Jesus is real in those moments when you see how God's power can transform a human heart to actually treat someone with love who treated them awfully. I think about African-American Christians during the civil rights movement as dogs were being sicked on them and they were, fire hoses were being put on men, women, and children just because they were trying to fight for the right of equal treatment, a treatment that was promised to them in our Constitution, in our founding documents, and yet they still found a way to love people who were treating them heinously. I think about St. Patrick. How many know that St. Patrick is the, the patron saint of Ireland? But he's not from Ireland. Do you know that? was not born in Ireland at all. He was actually born in the UK, in England. And he was abducted, kidnapped, 
brought to Ireland by barbaric tribes of that time, that, that, and they mistreated him awfully. And yet under their care and custody during that experience, he came to faith in Jesus. Somehow he escapes and he goes back home. And guess what he does? The love of God compels him to go back to Ireland to share the gospel with the very people that abducted him and treated him like nothing. The gospel has a way of transforming us the way it transformed the shepherds that from one day to the next, we find ourselves loving and preaching and sharing good news and being kind and just being gracious toward people who have mistreated us and not seen the dignity and the inherent worth that God created us to bear. If the good news is truly transforming you and I, if we find in ourselves the audacity to believe and true faith is growing, the evidence of that is not found in how loud we sing, in how many times a year we gather in a setting like this. It's not even found in you being able to riddle off theologically accurate statements it's found when we, through the love of God transforming us, treat with dignity and respect and care the very people that have not treated us the same. This Christmas season, imagine what that would look like in your life and mine, where rather than harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, Imagine the gospel, the good news of the incarnation, Jesus coming, transforming us to the point where we now desire good and blessing on the very people that have mistreated us. This is good news for the world. The gospel is true and real when we see these evidences of us loving people that by all accounts, should be our sworn enemies. I realize this might be touching a nerve for some of us in that you're preparing to have dinners with people that you choose to see only once a year because it's not easy, because being in the room stirs up all sorts of stuff. Some of you, your spine got tense, as I just reminded you. Oh, yeah, after this, ah. But how does Jesus transform us to love those who have mistreated us the way the shepherds were graciously declaring the gospel to people who have shunned them their whole life? It's because when you and I realize that if God would choose to come to us in grace, in love, how, even though we're so undeserving, and, and we don't merit his mercy, and yet he comes to us. And when we realize that, when we let that penetrate the hardness of our hearts, what emerges from there is the capacity to love others the way we've been loved. When we let God's love pierce our hearts, all of a sudden we find in us the capacity to love those who have not treated us with love. And so if you're looking for some other resource, if you're thinking that you have to white-knuckle this and force it and grin your teeth through it, grind your teeth through it, like just, just to get through it, no, there's good news. The good news is that you don't have to force it if you allow God to transform you, to let 
the reality of the good news of Jesus, go deep in your heart and realize his reckless, unrelenting love was directed at you. He pursued you. He found you. He boxed you in by his grace. He wouldn't let you escape the resounding message of, I'm here for you. I'm pursuing you. I see you fully, and yet I want you completely. When that penetrates the depths of our hearts, we'll find within ourselves the capacity to love those that have not shown us love, similar to these shepherds. But I love what the scripture tells us. It it describes their reaction in this moment as one of pure joy. They're elated. They're going through the streets declaring this good news. They're absolutely transformed in such a powerful way. And they're telling everyone, everyone what God has done. And I love this one thing that I think it's important to mention for us, especially as you've heard announcements about Alpha and and this space that we're trying to create for people who are curious about the faith and maybe have questions or doubts or things that they're processing. I think we should take a cue from these shepherds in that notice. The angel told them what would happen, and yet they still went to Bethlehem to verify it. For some of us, We've been told that faith in Jesus is this blind faith, that you, don't have to, that you don't use your mind, that you just have to trust blindly. But actually, these shepherds didn't trust blindly. They didn't just go by the word of an angel. They actually went and verified this spiritual experience to see, is this true? If you're someone here that's struggling with doubts and you have questions and you're wondering, what do I do with these things? And when I want to have sincere, authentic faith, Can I assure you and give you comfort that God has the capacity to absorb your doubts? He's not threatened by your questions. He's not afraid of you seeking verification, of investigating, of you looking further into it. In fact, he would love for you to do so because he will bear up under scrutiny. With every question I've ever had, every doubt, every struggle, every, every like oh, perplexing thought about, is this true? Is this real? The more I've sought into it, the more I've looked into it, I find over and over and over again that God bears up under the weight of scrutiny, that he's not threatened by it, he's not intimidated by it. And actually, he welcomes us to use our minds, to investigate, to ask those questions as he's there in the wrestle with us to meet us. Some of you have seen the story that we've shared in conjunction with Alpha. We actually shared it at our retreat, and we've shared it other times. It's actually the story of Khan and how he came to faith. If you don't know Khan, Khan has claimed to fame as many things. In our community, one of his dear claims to fame is that he is the husband of Pastor Denise. Um, but outside of here, he's a very important guy. He has many leather-bound books. Um, he's just known. That's an Anchorman reference. Never mind. Um, He's, a, he's actually a cancer researcher, um, brilliant mind, scientific mind. And he shared, and I love his story. It actually always moves me when I hear his story. Because he goes to Alpha, and at the closing day, they're praying for the participants that they would have an encounter with the presence and reality of the person of God. And he has an encounter with God. But he walks away with his scientific mind saying, I want to say this didn't happen. But I can't deny it happened. Like his scientific mind didn't let him deny it, even though he wanted to deny it. 
because he knew the implications of it. I love that story for so many reasons. Well, one, because we love Khan, and we're so grateful that Jesus rescued him and brought him into our lives. But also the way he approached it. His mind was fully engaged in his search for truth. And is God real? And these shepherds, as simple as they may be perceived in their society at that time, they were not seen as sophisticated people at all. They did something actually very sophisticated. They verified. They looked further. They dug deeper. They wanted to know, is this real? And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a place of doubt yourself, if you're struggling, if you have questions and things are burning in your soul, Jesus invites you, verify, come, dig deeper, question with him. He'll, he'll be present with you. If you have friends and family and that, you, that resonate with this invitation of curiosity and they need a safe space, you, ha- you still have time to invite them, to invite them into Alpha and to believe that they, like these shepherds, after verifying, they will attest and say, this is real. But I love one other thing about these shepherds, as I alluded to just moments ago, was just the essence of their joy. As they told the good news, their retelling was marked by unbridled joy. I think that's something for us to just sit with, especially for those of us that have been walking with Jesus for a while. If we're honest, one of the things that can easily happen for any of us, you may not lose your faith, but you could easily lose your joy. You could still find yourself saying, I believe. You'll debate somebody. You actually, you have cogent answers. You're firm in your faith. You can dot the I's, cross the T's. You know what you believe, but does your heart feel what you believe? Is there joy? These shepherds were marked by joy, and that was the essence of their telling. You you know, as they were telling this, they weren't trying to give these deep, apologetical answers. They weren't giving PhD treatises to people. They weren't having debates and, and panels and, and they, they weren't, it wasn't this big thought out thing. They were just people marked by joy and they were a force to be reckoned with as they spread the good news. They were going from person to person retelling this joy. Why I think that's something that you and I should take note of is because Oftentimes, if you're like me, you can get stumped and say, man, I want to share the gospel with my friends, with my family, and I got to be armed with all these cogent answers, and I got to read up these books and these scholars and this, and all of that has its place, but you know what should never be lost is just the unbridled, pure, simple joy of you and I saying, I've been rescued. I've been found. God pursued me. I believe in the grace of God. And they may be, they, there may be questions thrown at you and they may push back, but you, you showed up in the simplest way that you and I can ever show up that's undeniable and it's a force. I remember the person who God used to stir my imagination about what this must be like to follow Jesus. He didn't say a word to me for weeks, but I would see him walk my neighborhood carrying a Bible. This kid went from one day to the next being the most popular guy in our neighborhood 
All the guys wanted to be like him. All the girls wanted to be with him. He was just an incredible dancer. He was popular in the clubs. His dad was one of the most, like, uh, biggest drug dealers in our neighborhood. Um, he had clout. He had respect. And from one day to the next, he's walking around carrying a Bible and telling people, Jesus loves you. And as I watched him, as I'm hanging out with his brother, me and his brother are getting high, smoking weed. I'm watching him and say, what made him leave everything we're pursuing to go and walk around with a Bible and tell people Jesus loves you? It wasn't the sophistication of his answers that got me curious. We didn't even have a conversation yet. It was the evident joy that I could see on his soul that let me know he has something that I don't. Imagine if you and I, in our world, in our relationships, in our workplace, with our family members, if we could be that presence of joy, that they may say, I don't, I don't fully believe what they believe, I wonder what they believe, I'm not sure where they're coming from, but one thing I can't argue with, they're the most joyous person I've ever met. Through suffering, through setbacks, nothing takes away their joy. I tell you, that will gnaw at people's souls for far longer than some sophisticated answer. So if you're here, you're wondering, how could God use me? I, I'm timid. I don't know what to say. I get stumped. I don't want to talk about faith. It's like one of those conversations you avoid. That in politics. Just don't talk about it. But you believe what you believe. You know it to be true. It changes your life, and you wish you could be sharing it actively. I got good news for you. Just show up places and be joyful. You could be joyful and silent. And make that difference. People will notice. They'll wonder. It, they'll spark curiosity in moments when they're not around you. They'll remember, man, there's something about that person and the way they live that makes me want to take a second look at the God that they believe in. These shepherds were marked by joy. Because notice, notice what the angel didn't tell these shepherds. The angel never told these shepherds, go and tell everybody. Read the text again. The angel never said, after you see the baby in the manger, it's your job to go and tell everyone. The angel just told them what happened. They went and verified. And then on their own, they couldn't help it. They were telling everybody. That's what pure joy bubbling up from our souls will do. It makes us giddy. It makes us silly. It makes it, we, we lose care. Have you ever seen people when they first fall in love, how idiotic they act? You know, like they just lose all sense. It's just like, oh, you're weird. And you give them a, you give them a pass. Why? Because you know what love does to people. It makes people act silly. It makes us do silly things. When the love of God gets deep inside your heart and transforms you and gives you this sense of joy that you've been found, you've been rescued, how could we not effortlessly, not mechanically, just organically, just all the time, whenever we have an opportunity, tell people of the one that we love? This season, be mindful of those around you 
that need the good news of Jesus. Pray for family members and friends and neighbors. God is knocking at their heart in ways that we don't often realize. I'm always amazed when you get into conversation with people, sometimes people that you would least expect would have curiosity or questions or longings that are pointing them to God, and you find out deep in the recesses of their heart, God has been pursuing them. And if we show up in those moments, joyfully announcing, the Messiah has come. The Savior has come. You know what good news that is for New Yorkers who are looking for salvation in their careers, who are looking for salvation in the accumulation of possessions, in accolades, in fame, in notoriety, to be told salvation has come. And it's not in anything you could pursue or you could do. It's in a person. God himself. He has come. You could stop chasing. Because he has arrived. What we long for is here. And lastly, I love the final scene of this moment. Verse 20. It says, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. These shepherds had an afterglow to them. The gospel transformed them in such a powerful way that joy reverberated from their life and it was found and evidenced by a life of praise and worship. Not only do we know that we have audacious faith when we find ourselves loving people who have mistreated us, forgotten us, demeaned us, but we also find evidence of audacious faith when we commit to a life of worship, a life of glorifying God, regardless of what comes our way. From that moment onward, these shepherds were marked so powerfully by this moment that we see the evidence of this transforming moment show up in their lives, glorifying God, praising God, rejoicing. As you and I in this season, perhaps this is a season spiritually for some of us where it's not so much we have to recover our sense of belief, but we have to recover our sense of joy in what we believe. And one of the ways that joy is most expressed is by being a person who commits to a life of worship, who centers their life around the being of God, intimacy with God, growing in relationship with him. As we close and as the worship team comes forward, I wonder if for some of us today, this is God's invitation for you even now. An invitation to recover your joy. Recover the joy that you once had in the belief of God's unfailing love. Perhaps for some of us, this is a time where the audacity to believe shows up in our lives again by us re-engaging in a life of worship. I know for some of us that we have spiritual history with Jesus. We're, we, we're not just believing in Jesus today. We've been trying to follow him for years. 
And perhaps there was a moment in your earlier times where your life was marked by a joy that came from worshiping him, just being with him, declaring his goodness, like these shepherds who, when they experienced the goodness of God, they expressed their experience in worship. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, but you, you sense a, a diminishment in your life of worship, where worship is an afterthought, it's not what fuels your life, it's not what your life is centered on, perhaps today God is meeting you and inviting you to return to a place of worship where worship is at the center of your life, a life that's marked by joy because you have come to believe in the good news of Jesus. Can I invite us to stand? As we stand in these next few moments and as the worship team leads us in response to God, to God's word and leads us into a time of prayer and confession and worship, if you would like prayer of any kind, whether the words that were shared earlier resonated with you or just you need prayer for any kind of reason, we would love for you to receive prayer. All you would have to do in these next few moments is slip out of your seat, go to the back, and the prayer team is awaiting to pray with you, to minister. And so I want to encourage you, don't let this moment bypass. You seize this moment. If you need prayer, go and receive prayer in these next few moments. Can I invite us, if you feel comfortable doing so, could we raise our hands in the presence of God? A posture of surrender, a posture of receiving we literally reorient our bodies and direct our bodies to the presence of God. Say, God, I'm here. You have my attention. And let's worship him in these next few moments. Let's meet him in his grace as he is here wanting each and every one of us to taste his goodness again.